It's the story of an American held in a dark Venezuelan prison. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. I'm Becky Bruce. I spent a year working on Hope in Darkness, which now has more than 2 million downloads. Find it on kslpodcast.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. Welcome to this week's episode of the It's Two Tars World podcast. I'm Hackett alongside Steve Battle. Check Steve out on uh, the Twitter at sbattle247. There you go, I said it right for once. Uh, and myself at Tom Canton Hackett. You can see Steve's work at uzone.com. They offer a seven-day free trial. Or uh, my work at kslsports.com or whoever else we have. It's uh, got bylines there. There's, there's a lot going on. Uh, Netweight Subaru, our beloved sponsor, thank you so much to them. They do so much for this community. I don't know if people out there quite realize just how much they do. They do so, so much for the community. They've been in the community forever and a day. They're the oldest Subaru dealership in all of North America. There's a reason they're as popular as they are, and you just have to head on down and check it all out for yourself. 2107 South Main Street, uh, just a stone's throw from downtown Salt Lake City, essentially. Steve, here we are. Finally, we're here. It's Pac-12 Championship Week, and uh, it's been a long time coming. What I mean, Utah locked up the Pac-12 uh, South title with the win against Oregon, which was uh, 11, 12-odd days ago at this point. So this has been the game, the Pac-12 title game, that they've been looking forward to for, boy, a couple of weeks at least, and it's finally here. They've talked about it all summer, all winter, all full camp at the start of the season when things were down. They didn't quite know if they'd be able to make it to uh, to this game, but they're here, and it must be quite exciting. Uh, when are you going down, Steve? Yeah, we're uh, we're headed down Thursday, so we'll fly down to St. George Thursday. We'll stay the night with some friends down there, and uh, then we'll make the trip to Vegas on Friday, and we'll get there probably you know, either – Friday midday, Friday morning, something like that, and and uh, and then it's on to uh, onto the game. So pretty exciting, man! It's been quite the ride this year for sure, and uh, it'll be uh, really great to take in that game, take it in at a, at Allegiant Stadium, brand new stadium of the uh, Las Vegas Raiders. So really looking forward to it, man! It's going to be an exciting, exciting weekend for sure. Steve, I, um, I don't know who's in charge of your schedule. I don't know who your assistant is, but you may need to have a word with them. Um, you've decided you were going to drive to Corvallis, Oregon, which is bloody forever away. You also decided you were going to drive to Palo Alto, and now you're flying to St. George, which is probably the easiest drive of them all. You're flying to can, – can you can you riddle me this? What? Who's in charge and, uh, like, wh- who's to blame, I guess? This doesn't make any sense. <laughs> Well, the assistant at the time didn't want to uh, potentially drive in a winter storm. Uh, and, uh, unfortunately, uh, <laughs> not the not the best weather forecast. You know, a month out, so <laughs> we uh, we bought these tickets a while ago, and uh, apparently, the uh, weather has cooperated rather favorably uh, for those electing to drive down. So that's what led to our decision to fly down to St. George. Uh, it makes sense. No, look, it makes it like, makes a lot more sense now. I'm glad you had the chance to uh, explain because uh, upon first reflection, I thought you've lost your complete marbles. Anyway, the game. Let's talk about the game. It's all that matters. It's all that anybody's talking about. It's the biggest game. So they've been in this position three. This is the third occasion. And um, 
And on the last two previous occasions, it hasn't gone in favor of Utah. Uh, Of course, against Washington in 2018, um, that was quite an ugly game. Utah was beat up really bad. Jason Shelley was quarterback. They were without Zach Moss, you know, just a lot, a lot of players. What that game ended like six to three or something, nine to three. Right. Yeah, it was the weirdest game. Um, the only touchdown came when Jason Shelley threw a pick to COC Mariner. I was standing right there because I was doing the radio um, TV sideline at the time. I was literally right there. It like bounced off his hands onto his knee up into the air for a Washington defensive back to take it back to the only touchdown of the game made no sense. And then of course, 2019 against the ducks, Utah was just outplayed. I think we can go back and forth as to who the better team was. They were both really good. Utah had a chance to go to the playoff. They had a better regular season, but on the day Utah were outplayed and outbeaten by an Oregon duck team led by Justin Herbert at the quarterback position, an offensive line that was probably the best in the country, if not top three in the country that year. And then, of course, Kayvon Thibodeau and a few other players on the defensive side controlled the line of scrimmage there. And here we are, Steve, the third Pac-12 title game in four years, uh, 2020 being the only year that they haven't gone over the last four years. We're playing the Ducks. Utah's playing the Ducks, a team they beat by 31 points, uh, yeah, roughly 11 days ago. So, like, Utah wins this football game is, I guess, what I've set all of this up for. Like, this is this is the game that, that Utah wins. And, like, I get it. It's hard to beat a team twice. But just, you know, the, like, the experience of playing in the game before, you can no longer use that as an excuse. Um, Oregon being the better team, you can't use that as an excuse. Like, there, there are no more excuses. Not that they're really have used excuses over the past, but you cannot point to anything in 2021 and say, this is why Utah did not win the PAC 12 title game against Oregon because they've, they've used all of them. It, this it's, it's the time it has to be, doesn't it, Steve? Man, certainly hope so. Right. Like this has to be third time is the charm. Um, you know, and it's, it's going to be, it's going to be really, really interesting to see how Utah comes out of this one. Cause you know, like you said, Tom, just two weeks ago, 11 days ago, to be exact, Utah beats Oregon by 31 points, 38-7. The game was essentially over at halftime after that Britton Covey, you know, punt return. And, you know, the game of football is interesting because, like, a couple good plays here and there and, and a couple things change here, like, Yes, the score was was a, there was a difference of thirty one points, but really, like if a couple if certain plays bounce the other way, you know that potentially could change the entire game, and and that's kind of the thing to always remember. It's like you're it's it's still just a matter of a couple of plays that can be all the difference. And I think Kyle Whittingham, I think the players, you know, being up at practice um, and not up at practice, but being, you know, at at his press conference, being at media availability on Monday, I think the players and and Whittingham kind of all alluded to that. It's like, look, like there were a lot of a lot of plays that were made on both sides of the ball, but they don't mean anything like we got to focus on 
what's coming this Friday. And, and what we did in that game before does not matter. And I think, you know, so yes, it is difficult to beat teams twice, but really, you know, if, if you're coming in with the mindset that you know, this is a completely new game, <laughs> like if you look, I think even history shows that um, I think it's something like seven in the seven Pac-12 championships, like the teams that were in the championship game um, played before during the regular season. And I think the team that won during the regular season won you know, in the championship game as well. So it's, it's, it's an interesting um, topic of discussion where it's like, there are going to be adjustments made, but you know, how, how much of, of an adjustment can be made in such, in such a short period of time, you know, where, you know, Oregon's pretty beat up. Utah's pretty beat up as well. You, know, you can't come out dr- and drastically change, you know, who you are in the matter of 10 days. Um, the, the thing coming into this one is Oregon looked like they rebounded really well last week against Oregon State. You know, they played with a lot of energy. They executed at a really high level, particularly Anthony Brown in the passing game. And so, you know, Oregon's going to come into this one, um, you know, feeling good and, and, with that added emotion of revenge, like this is an opportunity for them, you know, the, the monkey is off their back essentially, right? Like um, they're coming into this one just looking for revenge and, and looking for, you know, payback against Utah. So this one, man, it's 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 going to be an interesting game just because like this is the ultimate chess match between Oregon and Utah. Like how do you – what adjustments do you make? How do you adjust in the game, you know, with, with how closely these two teams, these two teams have played already. And, and it's, man, it's going to be fascinating. Yeah. I mean, so I don't think Utah's 31 points better than Oregon. Right. I'm just going to throw that out there. I think, I think Utah's a better team than Oregon, but there's no way you can convince me to think that that Utah's 31 points better than Oregon, a team that's lost all of twice this season. Um, they're not. Uh, it's just you go back and you look at the game, and and you you hit it on the head. I think Steve, there, there were plays made specifically early in that game that impacted the outcome. Um, there was a blocked field goal, like first or second drive, that that played a big role, and the Britton Covey special teams, punt return touchdown, you know, as the seconds wound down um, to conclude the first half. Like, you know, these are all things that, like, do happen in football games but don't happen often. And, you know, like you score on a punt return to end the first half. The momentum is is all in your favour, you know, in uh, going into the second half. I, look, it's just it, it, these all have impact. So, so right. it'll be fascinating. And here, here's what else I think is really interesting. If you're a Utah fan, do you even make adjustments for this game? Like, like Carl Whittingham at the start of the week mentioned that he's going to quote tweak some things. I think with the words he used, he was going to, you know, adjust a few. But I mean, I don't know if he will. To be honest, why? Why? Like, why would you? Like, because. You just you beat them eleven days ago by thirty one points. So what are you trying to tweak? It's like 
you know, it's like at the start of the season, they played them at the start of the season where Oregon really hadn't showed a ton of film and they were trying to figure out exactly. No, no, no. They, they played Oregon like second to last game of the regular season. They knew exactly what Oregon was and Oregon knew exactly what Utah was and Utah beat them by 31 points. So, so like, do you even think Utah makes these so-called tweaks and adjustments that Carl Hans referred to at the start of the week? Yeah, you know, I think this is like, that's kind of the thing is like, this is the ultimate chess match is, you know, does Utah even need to make adjustments? I mean, nah, <laughs> you know, they won big, but like at the same time, like you're kind of anticipating what, what adjustments Oregon is going to make coming into this one. And this is kind of where, you know, that chess match really really is, you know, a chess match is you're trying to be prepared for the adjustments and tweaks that Oregon is going to make uh, because, you know, Oregon, you know, they do need to make some adjustments um, coming into this one. Um, you know, it, there were, there was a lot of just poor execution on Oregon's part, right. uh, whether it be poor throws or some drop passes or poor blocking, but a lot of that came as as a result of Utah and and what they were doing, you know, in the defensive line, on the offensive line and what they were doing, you know, they created a lot of the uh the poor play for for Oregon. So, you know, this is this is going to be the thing and Oregon is, you know, they're going to they've spent, you know, who knows how much time looking over that film and looking for um, areas of weakness that they can try to exploit with with Utah on offense and on defense, and so they're going to come into this one with you know adjustments made, and I think that's kind of the thing for for Kyle Whittingham and his staff is just being prepared and making tweets and and, and making adjustments, and they didn't play perfect either. Like right. that's kind of the thing is when you you look down when you watch that game and you pay close attention, like. The offensive line did a good job, but they still missed blocks here and there. You know, there were still opportunities to maybe move the ball down the field that were, you know, they just they just missed. They didn't see them. And it's those kind of things, right? So um, man, like the, <laughs> just the back and forth between these two programs and like what the game plan is gonna look like for each one is you know, like it's it's gonna be wild. Yeah. No, I look, yeah, I agree. Um if I'm Carl Woodcam, and this is what I think will happen when it comes to you know adjustments and schematic moves and the chess match that you've referred to, Steve, is I think Utah goes into the game, you know, with the same game plan they had going into the Oregon game a couple yep. weeks ago. But they'll have a plan B, C, D, and E, or however many. And if Oregon right. does this, then Utah counters with that. I mean, it's just like you know adjustments that they're pre- preparing for. But but Utah cannot go into this game simply assuming what Oregon's going to do because Oregon could do. A number of different things um and therefore utah will have to adjust accordingly so that that yeah. i mean all the pressure for me uh in my opinion is on oregon to come into this fixture into this game and make the necessary adjustments and if they if they don't then they're probably going to lose by maybe not 31 but probably 24 uh ish and if they do and it works out then you know utah can and that's the chess match you're referring to so yeah i, I think Carl Whittingham was being polite at the start of the week when he said we're going to make some tweaks and adjustments. I don't know why you would. It doesn't make any sense if you if you if you're Utah because what you were able to do against Oregon a couple of weeks ago was um, simply annihilate them on national television by 31 points. There's simply no just go go out and do exactly what you did and you'll be just fine. So let's not complicate things. Um, Oregon had 63 yards rushing 
as a team. And there are some sacks, you know, that kind of muddle those numbers, but they were not able to run the football, Steve. And that, that is like what they want to do. You know, like that uh, Anthony Brown is a good quarterback. He, he's not a great passer. He's okay. And he's sufficient. And when he needs to, he could, he can do it occasionally, but, but he, he's a weapon running the football. They've got a really talented back, uh, uh, backfield. And if Utah can limit them to under a hundred yards, I mean, I have to believe that's essentially recipe number one defensively for Utah is stop the run, right? You stop the run against Oregon, you win. Absolutely. You know, like for as much as Utah has, you know, had their success come from, you know, the run game, like Oregon has had a lot of their success come from the run game and, and they're a little bit more dependent upon it because they don't have, you know, the passing game with, you know, Anthony Brown, who is like, and I, I don't want it to sound like he's not capable, like he's fully capable of being a guy that can lead Oregon to victory through the air. Like he can make throws, but I, I think they're, <clears throat> they are um, at their best to, you know, when they've got that run game humming and, you know, they've got Travis Dye, they've got uh, Anthony Brown involved in the run game as well. And so, yeah, it's, it's going to be, you know, a lot of their, a lot of Oregon success comes from, um, you know, uh, um, a run game that is keeping them, you know, ahead of the chains and, you know, in these short yarded situations on converting on, on conversion downs, like third down and fourth down, like when they're in those third and shorts, like they're really, really good when they have, when they have to deal with, you know, those long third and, and, and longs, um, it can be difficult for Anthony Brown and, and this Oregon offense to convert those. So, um, yeah, like keeping Oregon behind the chains, limiting and enforcing their run game to grind it out uh, is going to be key. And that was really like that was a maybe the biggest surprise was how much success Utah had against Oregon's run game and how much they they suffocated their run game. You know, like you said, Tom, they held them to what, 60, 63, 65 yards. Uh, just a, a remarkable job a couple of weeks ago. And they're going to need a similar effort uh, on Friday as well. Um, and then on the flip side, and this is going, you know, the chat. So Utah's first half a couple of weeks ago gashed them on the ground. You know, Oregon could not stop Utah. And then at halftime, there was an adjustment made by Utah where they kind of went to this 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 screen game, if you will, they they threw in like a bunch of slip screens and bubble screens, and they you know, and of course because they're anticipating a lot of pressure coming through the A and B gaps. Um, you, this is Utah, of course, and they just said, well, to hell with you know trying to run the football in between the tackles. If you're going to cloud up, you know, the middle of the uh, the middle of, of of the field, we'll just run run screens on you, and they kind of gashed them with that. So that was like kind of the. That was kind of the, the, my biggest takeaway from that game was the the adjustment at halftime from the Utah offensive coaches to kind of counter what they had anticipated Oregon to do. So, so, so what do they? What do you anticipate now, Steve? Do you think Oregon's going to bring you know a bunch of pressure and try and force Cam Rising in this Utah offense into third and longs and throwing downs or, or like what they have to, don't they? You have to come after Cam Rising early to try and stop that run game. No, absolutely. And I think that's that's what we saw with Oregon against Oregon State. Um, you know, Oregon State, they're they're very they're I don't want to say they're similar to Utah, but they're they're one of the the teams that 
is most reliant on the run game, you know, in the Pac-12. And Oregon State was one of the best rushing teams, not only in the conference, but in the country. They had just a really impressive offensive line that was uh, graded as as one of the top offensive lines uh, in, in a number of different ways. And you know, what Oregon did on, what was that, Saturday? Saturday, their rivalry game, Oregon and Oregon State. Oregon really, really attacked the line of scrimmage. And, you know, they got in the backfield. They created havoc. They got a lot of push. They attacked gaps. And that's kind of what I expect to see from Oregon coming into this one as well is, you know, they're going to do all that they can to take away the run game. And I I went back and I was actually on the treadmill this morning, you know, rewatching um, the game from a couple weeks ago. And Oregon, you know, they, they, they did a lot of different things with their defensive front with Kayvon Thibodeau and moving him around. They had a lot of odd fronts, a lot of even fronts. They had three man, four man fronts. They had guys standing up. They had guys, you know, in the dirt. Um, but regardless of, of what they did, like Utah's offensive line did just enough, especially on the interior to create a crease, to create an angle, to create, you know, a little bit of movement for the running backs to, you know, find, find uh, opportunity to find yards, to run for yards. And I think that was the interesting thing to me. And I think, you know, one thing we've talked about a lot with the run game is how improved the offensive line has been. And they've been great. Like the, the progress that they've made, especially over the last month in the run game has been remarkable. But I think one aspect of the improvement on the run game has been the, the play of the running backs. And it's not just Tavion Thomas. It's, you know, TJ Pledger has shown improvement here as well. When you have a run play, you know, running backs have the ability. There's this thing. So you can bounce it outside. You can bang it inside, or you can bend it back. And that's, that's kind of just what running backs are, are taught in a lot of ways. And a lot of offenses, you've got really three options. So you have a play design of where a play is supposed to be ran, right? So, and, and depending on how the defense reacts to the play action, like you have as a running back, the choice to bounce it out, to, you know, run it where it's supposed to go or to cut back, bend it back. And that is one thing that both Tavion Thomas and TJ Pledger have done a really good job of over the last, especially over the last few weeks of not only, you know, they're running hard, they're running tough, they're, they're making big plays, but they have shown a really improved, a lot of, they've shown a lot of improvement in terms of their fill for blocks and how things are being blocked and their vision uh, and their, their ability to identify, you know, how the defense is reacting to the run play. And it's allowed them to, you know, cut back. It's allowed them to bounce it outside for positive yardage, regardless of, you know, what the defense has done or, or, you know, however many guys are in the box at the line of scrimmage, um, the, the run game has been able to generate positive yardage so consistently because one, the offensive line has improved, but also the running backs have improved their vision, their fill, and their ability to make cuts and decisions in the backfield. So, um, that's kind of been the big key for Utah's run game. And I think, you know, regardless of what Oregon does, you know, outside of just sending, you know, everybody, um, Utah fans should feel pretty comfortable with the run game and with 
what these guys are doing, not only up front, but in the backfield as well. Yeah. Uh, it's fascinating, Steve. It really is. It's, and this is what I love about these sort of games is when you just put the two teams up against one another, they both want to run the football. You know, they, they want to get into third and short downs. They don't want to have to be in passing downs where opposing defenses can pin their ears back, bring on their elite pass rushes and go to town. They, they, they want to run the football effectively. Obviously, both teams do. They're not, they're not spread offenses like, you know, the Washington State of old where they don't really care what down it is. They're just going to throw it every time. Um, and then I think, you know, like I think Cam Rising and Anthony Brown, I think give the, the nod to, I think Cam Rising personally is a better quarterback. Than, than Anthony Brown is. Yeah. Uh, but then, you, you you know, you look at the wide receiver corps and, I mean, there's there's an argument for both both sides, whether it be Oregon or, or Utah, I think, you know, very talented. But Oregon's got probably more speed than Utah does, like, like more down the field, vertical danger. You know, Utah's got a lot of guys, like all three of the tight ends and Covey and, Solomon Enos and, and Devon Vele and these sort of players. Although Devon Vele has been kind of a deep threat. Yeah. Not quite as good as what Oregon's got at their disposal. But, you know, so, so there's like so many different elements. And then, of course, offensive line of the past, it's been Oregon that's had the dominant offensive line. I think this year it's fair to say that it certainly wasn't this way the, the whole year because at the start of the season it was quite atrocious what Utah was putting out up front. But now we're at a point where, yeah, the offensive line is like one of the most effective offensive lines in in all of football. They're, they're, they're just mauling people. And Bamala Seni, Steve, I mean, that guy, look, we've known he's big the whole time, but the, whole, the knock on him has been like, can the big boy move his feet fast enough? You know, he's, he's kind of been a bit slow in that regard, but I don't know what it is, if it's just confidence or, or what's gotten into him, but he's plowing people, Steve, like sitting wow. on their face. Sort yeah. of thing. It's it's like disturbing how dominant he's been over the last six games, nine games. You know, the majority of this year he's been really good. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think you know the thing for him is he's fine. He's comfortable. I think that's kind of the thing here is he's comfortable and he's confident, as you said, Tom. Like you can see it in his play. Uh, I think the thing for him is like he didn't suddenly like become more athletic. I think he just like became more efficient with his footwork and not getting, you know, too far in one direction, not overstepping, not trying to be, you know, not trying to get, you know, I th- what am, where's, what's that John Wooden saying, like, be quick, but don't be hurried. And I think that's kind of the thing here for Bam is like, he was so worried about, you know, beating a defensive end to a spot. And I think he's just kind of learned that he is so massive that he doesn't have to beat a defensive end to, you know, his aiming points, to his landmarks. He can, you know, he can be efficient with his footwork and he's so big that it's, it's a lot for defensive ends to get around him. Um, You know, he's, he's not, he's not perfect. You know, he's, he's still got plenty of things to work on, but the, the amount of progress that he's shown this year has been remarkable. You know, and, and as you said, Tom, like he is an absolute force in the run game, like just what he brings there. You can count on Utah having, having some green grass on that left side in each and every game, like regardless of who's lined up across from him, he's going to move people and he's going to create movement on that side of the offensive line. I think, you know, if if uh, 
if I were to look it up, I, I'm pretty sure Utah's, uh, you know, rushing distribution is favored pretty heavily to that left side. So he's, man, he's become, you know, you've got three pillars on that offensively. You got Nick Ford, Braden Daniels, to me, his move out to right tackle was huge for this offensive line. And then you've got Bam, you know, at left tackle, who once he came into the, into, into the game and into the starting lineup, you know, he really kind of settled in and really was that final piece for this offensive line to become what it's become this year. I think the power, the power of belief must not be understated. Right. Talking yeah. about Bam Olesani, it is. And I, 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 I experienced this back in the day. Um, you know, it, it does take certain people uh, longer periods of time to, to adjust to whatever yeah. it is that they're adjusting to. But once it clicks, it's just, it is, it is pretty mind boggling how fast, you know, it, it can, it can, it can climb, you know, whether it be confidence or just, just, just a sense of comfortability. There's, you know, and I think what we've seen from Bam, you mentioned this too, is he's comfortable for once and he believes in himself. And and, and when you have those two things, you don't have to be, although he is, you know, as athletically gifted as they come, you don't have to be, and you can be a really like, and I think Nephi Sewell's a pretty good example of this. Nephi Sewell has no business, you know, being as, as effective as a linebacker as he has become. He's the second most effective linebacker in all of the Pac-12, only behind Devin Lloyd. He has no business in that category. I had no business winning two Ray Guy Awards, Steve. Like, like there was just like, but there's like this level of confidence and it's, I hope not arrogance, you know, but, and there's a belief inside and that is just, that's as powerful as it gets to be fair. Yeah. I, I think, I'm kind of going off track here, but I think for, oh. for coaches out there, like the, the most important aspect of their job is to instill a sense of belief within the group, uh, within the team, uh, yes. and 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 then the strategy and and the tactical adjustments that are made throughout games. Probably yeah, that that's secondary to me. If you can if you can get a group of players that actually believe in one another. Um, you're going to win more games than you should. Uh, and I'm not saying that that's this Utah team, because I think this Utah team is also really talented, which is why we've seen them just dominate teams over the last half of the year. Um, yeah. And I'm, I'm, I'm excited, Steve. I tell you, I'm, um, I'm ready. I'm, I, I just, because I want to <laughs> see how they respond. I, I, yeah. It's, it's going to be so telling. It's because like after the, after the Colorado game, Britton Covey's one of the first, one of the comments that kind of made all these headlines was that how he said, he's, the team's not even celebrating this win. It was really hard to one, even prepare for the Colorado game. All of like the, the focus, even though they, they didn't admit it prior to the game was on Oregon. They just want to play Oregon in the pact of title again. That's all they want to do. He, and he mentioned, you know, like he's going to go home and immediately start preparing for Oregon. Like it's just, he's just fixated on Oregon. And I love that. I think that's great, but it also scares the living crap out of me if I'm a fan, because I don't want this team to all of a sudden play tight to play like there's tension, like there's something they're playing for. Like the reason they've gotten to where they've gotten is because they play freely Yes. And they, they don't listen to outside noise. And, you know, like, so, so it, yes. that's why I just want to see how they respond because it's going to be so, so telling 
you know, the foot by the end of the first quarter, you'll probably know, even if it's zero zero or three three or seven seven, even if the scores are tied, you'll probably know who's going to eventually win this football game simply based on the way they're playing and going about their business. Uh, because that's what these big games come down to. It's all it is is execution. You could yep. be uh, anyway. I could go on and on, but no. That quote from Brinton Covey scared me, Steve. It worried me a little bit. I must admit. You know, it's it's. I I had this same kind of a epiphany, you know, earlier. I I uh, um, it's been so amazing this season. You know, the the way this team has responded from you know the early season struggles, the early season tragedy. Um, you know, this team has really um kind of rebounded and and found something um that's just kind of propelled them moving forward and you know obviously a lot of that centers around ty jordan around aaron Lowe, and what those two mean to this program now and the the rallying around the 22 percent better um and everything like that i go to you know as i don't want to say equal i don't want to say as 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 equally as important as that but uh, or, or as big a factor, but you know, I, I, I think back to when Cameron rising took over, um, you know, that week, I think it was the, I think it was going into the Washington state game. You know, he met with the media and every, every, I don't want to say every answer of his was, you know, we just need to go out. We need to have fun and we need to play with swagger. And, you know, at the time you're just like, ah, okay, you know, okay. Yeah, sure. But then like, you know, that, that Washington state game happened and, you know, it was, it was a rough one. Like things just didn't go Utah's way in that one. And, and unfortunately, um, you know, they, they come back from the bye weekend or from the bye week Uh, they come back from, you know, everything that transpired, you know, during that time after the Washington state game, the Aaron Lowe funeral uh, they, they are able to spend just time with one another as, not teammates, but as just friends and get to know each other and, and you spend some time together. That was something that Brent Keithy talked about with us, you know, coming back from that bye week was just how nice it was to spend time with these guys and just have fun, you know, and then they get to that USC game and, and you could see that you could see that fun that they were having with Cameron rising um, and just, you know, (laughs) makes a play call by mistake and it leads to an incredible touchdown on that flea flicker. And, and, you know, he's just so like happy go lucky about it all. And, and since then, like, it's just been like, these guys are just having fun. And, you know, for as much uh, as it's been about Im- improvement and, and X's and O's and guys, you know, running backs, bending it or bouncing it outside or cutting it up inside or the offensive line playing with better technique, as much as it's about that, it's about these guys just playing free, playing f- for fun, having fun. And I, I think that's going to be, and I'm glad that you brought this up, Tom, because this was a point that I, you know, I wanted to make was like, I hope that you know, these guys don't forget, like that's in the end, like that's what's got them here is just having fun and playing with swagger. And, and it's what Cameron rising has really brought to the table as a leader is just that, that sense, like, this is still a game, like we're having fun, you know? And, and so as much pressure is on this team you know, to win it, you know, talking about third time is the charm. This is the second championship game against Oregon, third one in four years. Like as much as, you know, we're, we're kind of stressed out as fans, like 
the only guys that matter are the ones in the pro, are, are the ones in the building. And, and as long as they're having fun, as long as they're enjoying themselves um, and, and just out there playing for fun and, and playing with swagger and all of that, the things that Cameron rising embodies and, and all of that, like that's, that's all that matters. That's what I'm with you, Tom. Like I, I hope that that's what we see. We continue to see on Friday night is this group just playing loose. Um, but, but, you know, obviously they're, they're going to be prepared as Britton Covey alluded to, like, he spent a lot of time preparing for Oregon. So they're going to be prepared, but again, you just don't want to come into that one too tight. Like you want to come into that having fun, being loose and, and just, you know, you're out there playing a the game and yeah. it's important for those guys to remember that. Yeah. I, yeah, I'm right there with you. I think part of it too, is like this, this, this sense of nostalgia from 2019. Cause I kind of, I kind of consider the 2018 Pac-12 championship game to be a bit of a wash, just with how injured Utah right, was. Right. There was really, just didn't feel like Utah was was ever going to win that football game, and they didn't. But 2019 was a game where I, I really didn't. I knew Oregon were, were good. I think everybody knew Oregon was good, but I, I just, I, I felt like Utah was better, to be honest. And and they came out in that game, and it was like. It was ugly from the start. I remember thinking like midway through the first quarter, like, oh my goodness, like what is going on? You know, it's like Utah didn't even show up sort of thing. You're walking up and down the sideline, kind of weaving in and out of traffic and it's pretty quiet and the players just don't look overly energized or enthused. And I'm like, I'm like, this is like the game that you've woken up at 6 a.m., you know, when there's a snowstorm outside in January for like, this has been a long, nearly a year in the making and, and this is the response. I was just like, so, and I think Utah fans around the country, wherever they watched that game from felt similar. And so it's obviously very important to, to prepare and, and have a good understanding of what, you know, to expect. But at the same time, just as you kind of hit on Steve, I think, I think it's really, really vitally important to remember how you got to where they've gotten to, because at the start of the year, it felt like they were playing pretty tight. There was a lot of tension yeah. in the air. And, now, and you know, you could even see it on Coach Whittingham, you know, the discussion about Coach Whittingham and whether or not he's going to retire, you know, at the start of the year because he just looked aged. And it's like, well, and then yeah. it just all, it kind of just all like went went away. And this team started playing with a sense of freedom and they were enjoying their football. And Coach Whittingham all of a sudden you know, became 10 years younger and it's like, well, my goodness, you know, so that's all. Yeah. I look, I'm with you. And I think there are a lot of fans out there that kind of feel the same way because that, look, that, that 2019 Pac-12 title game, that left a mark on me anyway, as a, as a viewer, as a fan, if you will. So I have to imagine that, you know, the many other fans, thousands of fans that are out there, it probably left a similar, similar stain um, on whatever t-shirt they were wearing that night. So Yep. Uh, Friday night is the is the night. ABC is the broadcasting platform that you'll be able to watch it on if you're not going on down. Six o'clock Mountain Time kick officially, according to the internet. And it's all set, set Steve. Utah versus Oregon, the rematch, if you will, playing on a, on a neutral stadium down there in uh, in Las Vegas, uh, home of the Raiders. The what is it, Allegiant Stadium and I think it's going to be a pretty cool atmosphere. It's a, it's an enclosed stadium. They have a roof. Last I looked, I think some of my fa- my my in-laws are going to head on down. Some of my brother-in-laws are going to join them. And tickets were going for like a couple hundred bucks, even for upper bowl seats. Like I, I got a feeling this one's going to be rocking. 
I think Oregon fans are going to travel well. I think Utah fans are obviously going to be there. And I think it's going to be, it's good. Look, it's got all the makings for me to be a really, really interesting game. And, uh, and I, I look, I, as I said a, a few minutes ago, I just can't wait for it to all, all start. So um, yep. safe travels, Steve, to you. And uh, I assume Kendra's going with you. Yes. And uh, uh yeah, enjoy the enjoy the trip, enjoy the game. Uh, if you don't follow Steve, by the way, at Esbartle twenty four seven is his Twitter handle. He's going down, so uh, you'll get some you know some insight, uh, some behind the scenes access, if you will, into uh, into what Utah is kind of confronting. Um, it's well worth uh, your while. We do thank Nate Wade Subaru, of course. Nate Wade Subaru is our sponsor. We love and appreciate them. Steve, we'll be back next week to talk about either. An upcoming Rose Bowl game or uh, or back to San Antonio and the Alamo Bowl. Both good options. One certainly better than the much, other. Much, much better. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, have fun, my man. Enjoy it all seriousness. And uh, fingers crossed, uh, fingers crossed we have a, a date booked at the Rose Bowl come January 1st. <laughs> Years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. There's desperation and anguish. More than 80,000 Afghans have since arrived in America. But this story is still unfolding. I'm Andreas Martin. In my new podcast, Stranger Becomes Neighbor, we'll find out what happens to these new arrivals in our communities. Who would help our newest neighbors? Follow us at kslpodcast.com, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen.